Welcome to a podcast on marketing. I'm your host, Jordan Ogren, and this is a podcast where we talk about marketing. First question, who are you and what Thank do you do? Thank you so much. Um, my name is Sarah Pion, P-I-O-N. Um, some people get it wrong, but that's okay. It's that's <laughs> such is life. What is something you've, uh, you've been or you currently are obsessed with, whether it's in marketing, business, or just in life? I am a, currently, uh, I think, and it's, I think it's because of like the pandemic and taking this sort of away from the marketing world, but I'm obsessed with offline activations and like in-person, uh, sort of guerrilla marketing-y kind of tactics. I think that they're just so amazing for like awareness, but also like brand affinity uh, for like, if you're if someone's, a brand that you really enjoy does something uh, in person that you really like. So there's a dating app in the UK specifically <laughs> uh, called Thursday. Uh, and they do all their in-person activations on Thursdays. Um, so mm. they run really cool like subway and bus ads that say, uh, it's not embarrassing to say that you met your your significant other on Thursday. It is embarrassing to say that you met on Tinder, Hinge, Bumble, whatever. Um, and then they also just do like, they have a plate of dates in the center of London and like it says fancy a date, download you know our app to X, Y, and Z. Um, and I just think it, it pushes boundaries a lot and it makes people like be able to tangibly feel your brand in a way that like affects mm. kind of the whole funnel, uh, but really just top notch for awareness, I think is better than a billboard, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, definitely would be like a shock value. I mean, some of them, it seems that that could also like you'll just remember them longer than whether it's a commercial or some other uh normal form of marketing. So that's pretty cool that you are interested in that. Um, and the Thursday, I'll definitely have to look into that. I've never, I never heard of that. And that uh, interests me as I'm always obsessed with looking and kind of like analyzing uh, marketing. So another question I enjoy to start off with, it's a super simple one. And I usually get many different answers though, is what is marketing for? Like, how do you define marketing? What is the job it should get done? Um, yeah, I, I think in its core, it's education. Um, just like like full stop. Uh, I think before it was, you know, like attention, but for, for now it's kind of because every, almost every market has been commoditized, especially in software where I have spent my entire career. I mean, even in consumer products, everything is commodity. Um, marketing is about like trying to teach your market and your target customer and like your internal team a little bit, like why the product matters because uh, if you build it, they will come worked in like the 2000s. It doesn't really work in like the 2020s at this point um, because everyone is so skeptical. Uh, so like education and like not forcing anything upon someone else, but really being like, and that kind of integrates like all of marketing. So like strategic narrative is like, why does the world that you live in no longer exist? And what is this new world model? And how does our product help you bridge that gap between old world and new world? And then you have like middle of the funnel mm. activations where you have like super specific educational content, webinars, social, whatever. And then you have the bottom of the funnel where it's just like basically the test <laughs> like and passing is buying and failing is not. Uh, and that's what I think like some marketers forget is we get so focused on attribution and trying to measure everything that we forget that like we're really just supposed to be here to be a teacher. 
Hmm. That's a that's a really good in in kind of first time I've heard that definition. Attention is, you know, the one you hear a lot, and I always kind of challenge that: is is it really about attention, or is it more about maybe resonance, kind of going deeper? You know, that reach versus resonance. I think inherent in education is resonance that you know for someone to learn and for the transfer of knowledge or help to be even kind of created there has to be i trust you i'm opting in rather than this old way of kind of forcing people finding emails and just sending them stuff uh so i like that a lot and even just the strategic narrative uh andy raskin all that stuff that you brought in i feel is super super kind of correlated to this new way i don't want to say new way of marketing even but uh, it's just a kind of new look on it that's a good that's a good definition now using that definition i'm guessing kind of the answer to this question but how do you kind of define good and bad marketing obvious rebuttal is like it's totally in the eyes of the perceiver but i think it's kind of fun to discuss like how do you think through that if you see another marketing like thursdays you obviously think that's good marketing yeah. why do you why do you say certain things are good marketing and maybe you don't say it but why do you feel that certain ones are bad i think uh there's like flashy marketing effective marketing and then like bad marketing and i think flashy marketing can be mostly associated in my mind with bad marketing unless you're like so a hundred percent clear on who you're educating um so there's there's a brand that makes a lot of noise but they put on this like really big like activation that didn't make any sense to me i was like how does that and people were talking about it and they were like, wow, this is crazy. And I'm like, yeah, it's crazy. But like, is that going to give them anything? Like, is that going to do anything? Um, this wasn't a Super Bowl commercial. I'm not talking about Coinbase. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so for for me, like uh, it's the, the difference between good, ba- good marketing and bad marketing is like fundamentally knowing who your students are uh, versus just trying to like yell into the void. And I think things that fall into the yell into the void is like trying to automate everything uh, like trying to do something that no one else is doing, even though no one's paying attention <laughs> uh, and like trying to reinvent the wheel um, and trying to be innovative for the sake of being innovative when really good marketing is just doing like a few simple things really well. Um, and those are like the fundamentals of marketing and they haven't changed. And it's the people who are doing good marketing just have consistency in doing those good things well. Um, Thursday, know who's, mm. Thursday knows who their target buyer is. They're not all of a sudden trying to, you know, be a different kind of app. They are a dating app for people uh, who are looking to uh, be able to say that they met someone more organically than someone who doesn't care that they met someone on on another dating app, for example. Um, So, yeah, like I think that's that's where marketers can get caught up a little bit. And I spent the first four or five years of my marketing career marketing to marketers. So it always felt like we had to operate at a level above our our target audience because they knew our tricks. But really what we had to do was like be consistent and do the things that didn't scale because they made an impact. Uh, and then everyone would be like, how did you do that? And we'd be like, simply, we just did it. Like it didn't require automation. It didn't require extra tooling. It just required us to actually invest time in doing that thing because we care. Hmm. That's good. That's good. So some of the themes that I just want to pull out there, kind of like be human, you know, automation, robotic, be human, uh, be kind of simple. Don't kind of do this flashy. Don't kind of go try to be so complex. Um, yeah, no, I like that. And then just rooting it and really knowing the students, which you can obviously take that to like your customers, your prospects, like really understanding who even cares and then trying to uh, kind of talk to them, talk with them maybe is actually a better way to put it. 
I like that. What is a what is a strong held belief you currently have about marketing? A hill you're kind of willing to die on in regards to marketing? Um, most marketers are lazy. <laughs> uh, having supported that, like my first job in, in tech was like support for a MarTech tool. Uh, and then I administrated that MarTech tool and was on the marketing team and then just like del delved deeper into the life of being a marketer. And I think inherently because uh, leadership sometimes doesn't know the value of marketing, uh, we can try and essentially be a second sales team and we try and just do the activities that can be attributed directly to revenue, which is lazy because those are automated mm. channels uh, or paid channels. And then you, you just waste a lot of money and time and effort automating something that doesn't really drive business impact. Uh, and I don't think it's laziness because marketers want to, but I think it's kind of like by force a little bit from leadership who doesn't get it. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. You use the word lazy. I think, you know, it's it made sense after you kind of went through your definition or your way of explaining it, because I was like, wait a second, lazy. Let's hear this out here. But I do agree. And I wonder, too, obviously, you said one way they're forced to they don't have maybe the overhead leadership that allows them to be creative to consistently show up in unique ways, whatever that is. But I do wonder, too, if there's like inherent beliefs um, that we believe, maybe we don't actually say we believe them, but we just think like, hey, marketing can't do kind of I, I know there's many kind of beliefs that I've had and I've heard others say that would kind of make you be quote-unquote lazy without really realizing like hey I can do more it's kind of like a limiting belief that um, marketers myself included have had of like I can't impact X or I can't really do Y so I'm just gonna like do the basic task day in and day out yeah and get lazy maybe it's not sense. lazy it's just that marketers have a lot of limiting beliefs both like inside mm. themselves and externally projected onto them. Uh, and the <laughs> good ones really know how to fight. <laughs> yeah, so let's 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 dive into that. I think that's an interesting topic. What are what are some limiting beliefs you had maybe and now that you've, you know, either conquered them or you like imposter syndrome, right? We have to conquer it daily. What are some like of those limiting beliefs? for yourself yeah so starting my career in marketing for like with like internships before i even was on payroll essentially like salaried was i thought that marketing was blogs swag and events uh and you kind of just did those because you were the fun team and it didn't actually drive any like business value like i was a business major in marketing, we, we were taught the four P's in, in advertising. Uh, we weren't taught that like marketing drives revenue, like marketing should impact dollars. Um, and so <laughs> that was that was kind of a wake up call when I, I entered my first marketing role. Uh, I was working under Dave Gerhardt at Drift and I was taught essentially my first full time marketing role, the antithesis of traditional marketing. Um, so that was really cool because my baseline was just like, this is the this is the playbook, not the old way. The old way being automate everything, lead forms, don't talk to your customers, have your email always be no reply at because you don't want your you don't actually want to talk to your customers at all. Um, but I think in that sort of sense, uh, my what evolved then into limiting beliefs was uh, I was on a team of like very creative people, but, but very non technical people. So I was like, okay, like marketing is just brand content and like social uh there isn't really like a technical aspect of marketing and then i was moved on to a growth team under 
a man who calls himself a mad scientist and was then taught that you can be a marketer who understands technical workflows and who's also creative. Um, then from there, it's just like, how do you scale that as a career? Uh, so every new thing that I learned about marketing, there was like a new limiting belief of like, oh, marketers can't do that. Oh, marketers can't do that. Uh, but sure. but really, I think, especially right now, when kind of all eyes are on marketers right now, because we've done a really good job of talking about being us, <laughs> uh, maybe to a fault, um, there is a little bit more of like a wide open space to like make your career in marketing what you want it to be. Uh, and then that comes with limiting beliefs is like, am I, am I qualified to do this? No one else has done it before. Does it matter? Like, am I driving business impact? I can't measure it. How do I measure this thing? But it, I, it kind of evolves like as you learn more about your, your niche as a marketer. Hmm. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that with, with us, uh, with me, because I also feel the same through school, um, just kind of learning, you know, not really learning that, like you said, that marketing should be, whether well, actually tied to pipeline or it should be having direct, you know, which then obviously revenue, right? That it needs to be, it's not just a cheerleading uh, function, you know, to say, hey, we're over here, you know, making us look and kind of sound cool, but we're actually driving real results. And luckily for you, you got an environment where you had someone who already learned that or kind of was preaching that. Do you find that in marketing, it, um, it requires a lot of relearning, kind of forgetting the past or not forgetting but saying okay that was that's not it like blogs it's not that's there's more to it how do you go about that relearning process or is it just kind of subconsciously and you don't even really think much about relearning and letting go of the old beliefs I think I have like a slight advantage because I wasn't taught the old beliefs I specifically left drift uh, my first like marketing role to go to a very like traditionally market like traditional marketing company so I could learn like okay like what are we what is the deal with trade shows? Like, why are they so important? And why should we have lead forms? And why should we take a more professional tone versus a conversational tone? And that just like also helped me with like foundational knowledge. Um, and then I realized that it didn't work out very well. <laughs> hmm. uh, so through experience. Yeah. yeah, but I think also like the basics of marketing have been documented, uh, like to, to name all the people that always are named, but like, Robert Cialdini and the principles of influence and like Ogilvy on advertising and just like the psychology of humans, like, and the 22 immutable laws of marketing, like they are immutable. Um, but because uh, trend jacking has become such a big thing of just like, oh, the like the kids are doing this, like that's what we should do. Like we should be on TikTok. No, it's not, it's not actually about like adapting to every new trend that comes out, but instead like really focusing on those like core marketing laws that will work because of like natural human psychology and how how mm. we operate and then being able to like modernize that obviously because you know we can't do exactly the same thing as Ogilvy or Cialdini because those books were written in the 90s 80s whatever maybe before then I did not check the publication <laughs> date I'm so sorry um but instead like applying those like real and true principles to like the, the market and the world as it is today. Uh, and so that's not always like doing the flashiest thing and like do it, like making sure that you are always up with the trends cause then you're trendy, but you're not classic. Uh, hmm. And that's like my fashion reference for the day. 
<laughs> yeah, because everybody wants to be a classic. You know, yeah. that's a you know classic. Uh, that song's a classic. You know, that that film's a classic. Yeah. You know, it's better than yeah. That that one was a good Netflix clip for a bit. But no, I really I really enjoy what you're saying, and I totally agree with that. There's this. I read this book. The Almanac of Naval Ravnican, I can't even say his name, but it pretty much, he, it's not at all about marketing, but he talks a lot about this thing called like optimistic contrarian thinking. And it's just going from the roots. So you're always just going from the principles, from the basics, and you're building your thought process up rather than, you know, starting at this high level and kind of just grabbing trends and grabbing whatever you have, the foundation, you've read those books you've listed. Because really, to be honest, I read a book every like week and a half. So like I'm always reading books and I'll be completely honest. I've read the books you mentioned and a lot of these new age books, like they're cool and all they sound great, but like they're just trash. Like I'll be completely honest. Like you don't need to read. There's probably a set list, like 10, 15 books you need to read. You need to grasp them. Some in like copywriting, writing, some in marketing, some in just life in general. And then like you just get the basics and then you can build up from those which i think is really what good marketing is it's good decision making it's good thinking and without basics it's really hard to do that because you're just grabbing on to hey this company did this or this and you're not understanding well what's the roots of why it worked for them so that's a really good point i'm glad you brought into the conversation yeah i mean like even going back to that like the new age books that's kind of something that like leaders who don't get it kind of grasp onto and they're like look this is this new marketing trend marketers go do it uh, and that kind of ties into the the marketers not necessarily being lazy on purpose, but like lazy because of, you know, uh, or just like having to having to prove their value via what a leadership team wants them to do. Yeah, no, that's true. To be a good marketer, you have to be, quote unquote, a strong cookie. You know, you have to be very strong in your beliefs, what you think is going to work. I try like, you know, there's like you got to have balls. Or you, like I try to make it somewhat not male. So like strong cookie, I feel is quite a general neutral uh, kind of thing. But it's it's true. Like, you have to defend. Take the punches. Yeah. Yeah. And give some too. No, just kidding. Well, unless you like that. So what, what is something in marketing that you, and we might've talked about a few of them, but like something you disagree. A lot of marketers say X and you're just like, no, that's not true. That isn't the way. I guess, does anything come to mind that you just routinely disagree with marketers, people on in general around business marketing? This is more like, this might be around marketing. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, let me know if I'm wrong. (laughs) Uh, but I've seen a lot, um, like from my own experience, maybe, but like from talking to other people also, like I talk to a lot of people about like professional and career development, career growth, and like how to grow in marketing. And one thing that's just like sucks <laughs> is a marketing leader coming onto a team, inheriting a team, and coming in with a playbook uh, because it worked before. Uh, and that shit sucks. Am I allowed to swear? That stuff sucks. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Let it lose. <laughs> Um, I think especially because marketing is so specific to a company coming in with like a playbook of like, we're going to do this and then we're going to do this and then it'll result in this, which will lead to this is wrong. Uh, and also doesn't like take into account the talents of the people on the team that you're inheriting. Mm. And it really, it can, it can take a great company and make it mediocre really quickly. And, and that sucks. Um, and I think because like there is going back to that thing of like leadership needs to see ROI of marketing activities immediately. Hiring a leader that's like, here is my playbook and here's how it's worked at the last four companies that I've been at is like a really safe bet, uh, but a really like kind of vibe killer. <laughs> uh, 
not only yeah. like internally, but like the market's gonna the market's gonna feel it too because what once was innovative and exciting because these people were doing the things that they wanted to do that drove business impact aren't gonna be doing that anymore and they're gonna be following a script and that sucks. Mm. Yeah, to me, just a word that came to mind was ignorant. I feel that that's quite ignorant just to like come in with your playbook. Yeah, no, I've I've heard like on some like the CMO podcast or something that obviously interviews people who have been CMOs and other companies, like a routine thing I hear is like you just come in, you listen for the first 60 days, you just observe for the first X amount of days and you really try to understand A, your team skill, which you're talking about is like with a playbook, you kind of just don't care about what my team skill is because it may not kind of back that playbook if it's like video youtube like we don't might not have a strong video team or whatever so i think that's something that like i think marketers like you have to be a very very observant and almost you know ditch everything if you go to a new company and try to build like we are talking about build from the ground up of like okay what's this business strategy who are they targeting all those things rather than hey we had this successful even my last two companies we're just going to do it as kind of ignorant and not the best strategy that's a, it's a good thing to disagree with people on what is one of your biggest failures a mistake you made that obviously now you're not like thankful for it but you're like okay that helped me get to where i am now yeah i'm a relatively risk averse person so like failure is just like whew, hate that <laughs> hate that stuff um like tactically a failure that i did was like i accidentally sent an email to far too many people and like ruined our ip reputation and like, it's just like a bummer and a half which is like very tactical marketing. I feel like also some sort of like bridge that you have to cross to be like <laughs> a marketer is you have to like accidentally send far too many emails or like at Drift, for example, it was like you had to turn on a bot with no targeting. So it fired to like 100,000 people in the span of like 30 seconds. And then you just had like messages flooding the inbox and you were like, shit, what did I do? Um, <laughs> but I think from a career perspective, uh, I love being busy um and sometimes i can mistake being busy for like making an an impact because it's easier to just like put your head down and execute than like fully and and fully question why you're doing something and how that impacts a business uh and for me to feel like i have like put a stake in the ground and been like sarah has been here uh i have like a set of kind of like criteria to be like, I made an impact, I've done it. Like I can stay here, but I would also be okay leaving. Uh, and just executing for the sake of executing was something that I did uh, and something that I can fall back into really, really easily. Uh, and as I grow in my career and I want to be more strategic, follow it, falling into execution mode is detrimental for me because I'm, I'm viewed as an ex executor then, not a strategist. Um, mm. And so I think that that hasn't happened, you know, once it's happened multiple times. It's like my default, <laughs> um, which is not great. And I'm trying to unlearn it. But I think that's like held me back the most. And like I could be, you know, I could be ha like I could have a certain title or I could, you know, be held to a different standard if I came into an organization and didn't immediately want to make like a tactical, like tangible impact on on one specific thing and instead kind of do the CMO thing of listen, observe, where is the gap? What does the business like fundamentally need right now? And how can I put a plan in motion or be involved in the solving of that problem? I think that's like leader versus IC behavior. Uh, hmm. And so far I've entered with IC behavior. All the companies have just been like, I have to prove myself quickly and like 
what is the lowest hanging fruit that I can bang out with like little to no context <laughs> and just be like, look, I did something. Like, can you see? Do you like it? <laughs> did I do a good job? Yeah. Uh, versus, you know, being yeah. an adult. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I totally get that because that's what got you maybe to where you're at or continually got you there was the hard work was kind of just going, getting everything done or doing just so much rather than really kind of slowing down to go fast of like, what should I be? What's the one thing, Gary Keller in the sense? So like, what do you do now? Because you said you go back into it, you know, sometimes or you have a tendency to possibly go back to that executioner mode. Like, what things do you put in place? How do you make sure you stay in this strategizing or strategy mode rather than slip back into the execution i think one thing that was like super important to me was like i needed to have like a deliverable essentially uh and that stems from uh drift uh their whole culture was like you ship on your first day uh no matter what your like what your position is like you have something to produce on your first day and i was like i need to have something to produce on my first day uh forever Um, But instead now, like if I am, you know, crafting a strategy, brainstorming, like trying to figure out like the next best move, I need to document it because that makes me feel like I have have a deliverable Mm -hmm. to show someone. Um, And it also helps like organize my thoughts. At VoiceFlow, we use FigJam, which is great, 10 out of 10. Um, But like at my last company, we did a lot of like slides and like Google Docs um, or like wiki pages, you know, so that's kind of helped me be like, I have something to show you that I worked on. Like mm-hmm. whether that's, you know, a blog post or like the content strategy, totally different things, but there is a deliverable. Um, mm. So that's kind of, that's what I need for myself to feel like I did it, I've executed strategically. <laughs> yeah, That's good. That's good. It's kind of changing the mindset around what is a deliverable or what could be a deliverable in this new kind of mode of working. I think that's, that's really a smart kind of way of like, Hey, this is who I am. That's mm-hmm. going to be hard to change. So like, how about let's just get the strategy thinking or the strategy stuff on paper in fig jam in whatever that kind of way is. So then I actually can continually show or kind of ship uh, every day or every uh, every uh, frequently per se. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's good. So in your uh, so at your drift so on your LinkedIn, I'm a total stalker, and you talk a lot about how like you talked to customers daily. Why is speaking to your customers daily frequently important as a marketer? Yeah, I mean, I see this. It was super impactful at Drift. It was super impactful at Alice. It's super impactful at Voiceflow. Um, And even like Drift and Alice were marketing technology tools. I was a marketer. So I understood like how I would use X, Y, and Z thing uh, in my own circumstance. But every marketing team, every business is solving a different problem. And the way that they use technology in like in general is going to be inherently different. So it's it's great for honestly like your own ideas. (laughs) If you work in marketing technology and you talk to your customers who are your peers essentially, uh, you can be like, oh, it's a really good idea. Like we should do that the next time. Uh, And then on like the voice voice flow perspective, it helps with like, I'm going back to the teaching analogy because I love good analogy. It goes it goes back to like the lesson planning of like okay, like what does this person know? But like, what are they, what hasn't like registered yet? Like what could we show them that's gonna be a huge aha moment that makes them even stickier? And mm-hmm. and it's easy or it's hard to get that context by listening to gong calls or, you know, watching sessions on LogRocket, like physically watching people interact with your tool. It's like so painful. Um, but, 
but it's it's really helpful because you are forced into the shoes of your customer to to contextualize their journey because there's no idea like there's no there's no standard customer journey marketing attribution is fake uh, Amanda Nielsen has a great like swag store that's like marketing attribution is literally fake like we just made it up because it's going to be like one like ad that they saw three weeks ago and then they talked to a friend and then they remi- remembered like four weeks like two weeks later and then they signed up like you can't replicate that uh but instead understanding like the fundamental problems of your customers and how different they are but also kind of the same and how your problem product solves that helps your marketing register because then you're talking about like a real life thing instead of like the the scenario you made up in your head that you thought would be impactful for your customers Hmm, that's good that's good and just on your last part i the whole part of talking to customers great the last part about that attribution yeah totally agree i feel like many times marketers like just forget how we buy things like we just forget (laughs) that like like i bought a book from a guy a long time ago I was just on Amazon today scrolling and his, his like second book popped up and I've looked at it, but like I just bought it. And it's like, there's nothing to attribute to that other than like I bought his book a while ago. I enjoyed it, whatever. So yeah, I think sometimes we literally forget how we purchase things or how we kind of go through the decision-making process when we start to get into marketer mode. Mm-hmm. And I think to your point, maybe talking to customers allows you to slow that down and you actually talk to someone of like okay and now you're talking probably like around using the cus like around using the product but there's also obviously why did you choose our product like what was the issues problems and you can start to figure out or especially people who didn't if you can talk to people who didn't buy your product like what was the in the way rather than like you said you just have in your head these things of like oh we're just you know the price is a reason where like it may not even uh, be close to that so it, for me it brings you closer to the truth which i think is always my objective in life or outside of marketing is get close to the truth i don't care what feels good or what i think let's get closer to truth so you've spent you spent around like two three years close to three years working at drift what were some of those top lessons you you kind of said you know i don't know if it's a top lesson but ship every you know, ship daily like what were some of those lessons that you take away they took away that you still use today from drift yeah, I think Drift did a really good job of like defining their like principles. Uh, they called them leadership principles. And I think it's because the, the co-founders were like five-time co-founders. Like they had done this before and they were going to do it right. And so far, I haven't found a company that has like such specific operating principles or they at least haven't like literally put them on a, onto cards and given them to their employees because that's what happened at Drift. Like we had the wow. leadership principle deck and it was like sat on our desk. Um, but yeah, like... Uh, I think ship every day, uh, do things that don't scale. I think especially because I do have a bit of a background in growth marketing, which is like, how can we scale everything? Uh, That mindset is actually kind of, it helps drive more ideas because instead of how can we scale this? It's like, what if we tried this and figured out how to scale it later? Uh, I love that mentality because it's, kind of going back to the person who ran growth at the time who called himself a mad scientist he was like don't think about logistics what do you want to do uh and that just like breeds so much creativity because you're like well what if we did this and then we're like all right let's try and figure out how we actually can do that um so i try i i do try and bring that to a lot of other places to all the places that i've worked at uh since um and then i think like being scrappy is like not something that has been that was like instilled at drift but i think it's something that i am masochistically obsessed with from a startup perspective like i love startups it's not like 
Doesn't make any sense because they're a disaster all the time. The sparkliest startups on the outside are literally a dumpster fire on the inside and that's why they're glowing. <laughs> like it's not because they're actually like spit shined. Um, but I think it's really fun to take uh, a lot, a lot of separate parts and create a structure instead of coming in with a, a structure and trying to optimize it. Um, and so for me, like being scrappy, understanding my resources, but also knowing that a lot of the people around me when they do join a startup also feel the same way allows a team of like 40 to operate like a team of 80 because we're all so passionate about the work that we're doing that we're able to kind of make the best use of our time and then do a little bit more for a short period of time. If you keep doing that, you're going to burn out your employees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, I like that. I think uh, startups. So yeah, the company I work for just recently started like a, a SaaS product. So I'm kind of experiencing the, the dumpster fires in that sense of just like, it's just crazy. Um, it's like cocaine, you know, you enjoy it for a bit, but like, it's not a long-term sustainable uh, lifestyle just to, you know, wake up and do it every day. No, I'm just kidding. But um, no, that's good. I like those takeaways. So Quickly, I want to ask you, you have a podcast called Self-Control and Cheese. It's very interesting. What was the impetus? What was the origin for that? Like, why start a podcast? Yeah, I met my, or I virtually met my co-host. We had never actually been in the same room together until this past summer, which was crazy. Wow. Um, but we both kind of grew with high growth companies. So we entered in the ground floor of Drift for myself and, and G2 for my co-host, Bridget Pucker. Uh, and we're both like super motivated to do well at our jobs. Uh, it's hard to work at startups if you don't really want to grow. Um, and like so much respect for people who want to show up at a job every day and then like stop doing their job. I'm getting to that point because I moved to Denver and everyone here has a hobby. And I'm like, <laughs> I gotta have more time doing my hobbies. But I, I digress. Um, we, we agreed with it. We like got connected because Drift and G2 were like company friends. <laughs> There's a lot of overlap in terms of like uh, co-marketing opportunities and all that fun. So like that's kind of just like how we knew each other. And then we started to have conversations of like, dude, like nobody's talking about what it's like to be a 20 something trying to grow your career. So many of the like career growth podcasts are people talking to CEOs and executives and people who haven't been there in a long time. So it's kind of like rainbows and butterflies and like, yeah, it was hard, but like it was worth it. But there weren't a lot of people who were like, this is hard and I'm not having a good time right now. And like nobody told me that I should look out for this thing. And so we figured that we should just start talking about that. Uh, and it's like kind of niche. It's like tech marketing, uh, high growth tech marketing, but it kind of can apply to any sort of growth, career growth path at any sort of company. Maybe not engineers, because I fundamentally do not understand the what it takes to grow as an engineer sure, uh, sure. in terms of like knowing how to code. But I mean, we're doing a whole series right now on how to get hired in tech if you don't already work in tech. And like, what is it like to get an interview versus what, kind of, what can you expect during the interview? And then how the heck do you read an offer from a startup? Like, what do you mean, like fair market value stock? Like, what does that mean? How does that is that good? Do I want that? <laughs> like those answering those kinds of questions that like we've had to figure out on the fly. Hmm. Um, so it's for like past us and 
whoever else is like dealing with it right now. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Something that I just think is super cool is that you uh, create it with someone that you didn't even know uh, personally mm-hmm. or, or you knew them, but like not in person. And I think that's something that I'm seeing a lot is, you know, if you want to do something new, obviously I'm not an example of this. So I'm doing a solo podcast, but like find someone to kind of do, do a side project or do a passion project with. A, it'll be more fun. And B, it's like you can learn from each other. So that's like something. And then another piece is that niche like finding hey like but also like for you it was like there's nothing i can listen to for this so like i think that's super key in marketing is like or just in general is create something that you wish you had so like Mm -hmm. career advice for people and like that's a really kind of good takeaway just from your uh, explanation of how you came to be on it a final question before i jump into the final three questions is, is why should we stop comparing marketing to dating Oh my God, I hate it so much. I hate that. (laughs) I literally was interviewed for like a newsletter on this too. And I just think it's so creepy. Like, stop. Um, (laughs) It's, it's, it's one of those things where uh, people are trying to equate an entire like profession to something that is very simplistic. And in that sense, I agree. Everyone like interacts with marketing on a regular basis and they should be able to like know that they're being marketed to. Uh, but I don't think that the dating analogy is the best way to go about that. Mostly because those analogies get misogynistic almost immediately uh, in very, very uncomfortable ways uh, where it's just like you're, you're saying more about your views right now than what marketing is actually all about. Mm. Uh, they're also like generally super broad and don't have a good understanding of marketing. Uh, and and it's just like, it, it's just icky. <laughs> it gives me the ick. Uh, there are, if we're marketers and we're creative, we should come up with a better way to explain <laughs> what the heck we do and not have it be a weird, like misogynistic, kind of creepy, doesn't feel like safe for work kind of conversation about what we do. <laughs> Yeah, I second that. And we can definitely not go deeper into that. I just I saw you post about that. And you just like full stop you didn't, like, go into it. So I was like, what did what do you mean? Like, I agree with you. Sure. But like, I want some elaboration. So I'm glad you could elaborate on that. And uh, please for everybody that's listening the two to three people don't use dating analogies for your marketing, uh, get more creative. We can- we can brainstorm something else together, but like, let's not, <laughs> let's not use dating. Yes. Let's leave that before COVID. Okay. So the final three questions, the first two will be on marketing. The last one will be kind of outside of it. The first question is, is what is one thing in the last one to two to three to four years you've changed your mind on? So I believe this. Now I believe that in marketing business. Um, it's like kind of tangential, but, uh, I, didn't I didn't peak in college um I think that's like a very U.S. thing is like to have like the time of your life in college I didn't which is like great because I was super that would be super early in my life uh but then I also was just like college didn't teach me anything college isn't important uh you don't need a degree to work in marketing or to work in tech because my degree like doesn't matter um and having conversations and I like don't necessarily think that I need to go into continuing education. Like there's going to be no reason for me to like get an MBA um, because I was a business major. So like what more can they teach me? But uh, I think that there is value in education, if not for like interpersonal and soft skills. Uh, I'm really good at thinking on the fly, talking on the fly, presenting on the fly, 
because of my business degree. Um, sure, I don't do finance for my job, and that was really all that I was taught uh, from like a tactical like business perspective is like accounting and finance and like I can calculate the depreciation of a machine like you wouldn't believe but that doesn't really come in handy for me right now uh but I think it's like the working together with in a in like a group setting and being able to like communicate fully your thoughts and and that sort of skill that isn't taught in high school really is where the value of college can be for people who might not necessarily want to pursue what their degree is in um, and so that's that's changed my mind of just like college is useless. Don't go. Just go into tech. Like be a sales rep. Whatever. Like you can do whatever you want. Uh, if you do want to go to college, there is value in it. <laughs> if you don't want to go to college, that's also cool. Like <laughs> don't don't worry about it. No pressure. Yeah. No. Definitely. I can already hear all the LinkedIn bros getting quite upset <laughs> of like college isn't needed. You know, just spend the money on like a two thousand dollar course on SEO or something silly. No. Literally I, like. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah. I feel like for me, I don't know. Totally. I went to like some small schools, but yeah, I learned things yeah. that are now applicable now, even in a sense of like how to like, you know, I don't want to say cheat, but yeah, cheat enough to like pass, you know, and not get caught. Like there's some lessons in that, that I uh, have. Scrappy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Resourceful. If yes, you will. yes, yes. Definitely not um, unethical. But so the next <laughs> question is, have you seen the movie Inception? It was like with Leonardo DiCaprio. I didn't. Okay, no, totally but fine. I, I I'll heard give about you, it. I'll give you the spark notes just so you can yeah. answer this question. So pretty much they okay. incept ideas into people's heads through like their dreams and then they wake up the next day and like, this is my dream or my idea. I want to sell my company or I want to whatever. Uh, so the question okay. is if you could incept one idea into the minds of every marketer. So tomorrow they wake up and it's their own idea. They're like, yes, I believe this. It's my idea. What is that? Engineering is your friend, not like strangers. Hmm. Uh, being able to communicate with product and engineering is such a superpower and marketers are so far removed from their work when they could have like the deepest insight into the product and the customer than they, than they think they do right now. Um, engineering is not like just there to talk to product marketing. They have thoughts and opinions on how customers use their product because they do extensive user testing they build for a customer, they build to solve a problem. And engineers and product managers can storytell better than marketers sometimes. So like, they're not just there to build something that you market, but like they're, they're there to give you ideas and, and to learn from like, product managers are better storytellers than marketers. Sometimes, mm-hmm. I don't wanna make broad sweeping statements, but um, yeah, like engineering and product managers are your friends. Oh, I like that, I like that. Final question, what is one thing outside of business and marketing that you do that when you come back to business and marketing, you just do better? It's outside, could be inside, but it's something not in business marketing that you do that helps you do business marketing better. Um, I think resting your brain helps you come back better uh, and how you rest your brain kind of is like getting into flow states. This is like such a bro-y conversation, I feel like sometimes. But um, for me, I got really into boxing like five years ago. Um, and like exercise in general is the only time where I'm not thinking. Uh, I'm I'm like wholeheartedly, like lights are off, nobody's home. I have zero thoughts when I am exercising. Um, and that's usually when like, 
you'll get an aha moment or you'll be like, oh, like that makes sense. Or like, I just had an entire argument in my head and like resolved it <laughs> by the end of this. Um, and I think like showing up better for work means that you stop thinking about work sometimes uh, because that's not your whole life. And it's okay if you like it, uh, but don't make it your whole thing because then you're going to hate it. You're like, you can't keep doing just one thing, especially I am like a hyperactive brain. Like I can't think about one thing for the rest of my life. Um, so yeah, if anyone wants a new activity to try, 10 out of 10 would recommend boxing. Uh, you feel really strong. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, does boxing help you at all, you think, with like self-defense? Like like if someone ran up on you, like do you feel you have a greater chance to like defend yourself or? Yeah, I seeing like new people come into our class who like come into a class who have never boxed before, male or female, a lot of people can't punch or defend. Yeah. <laughs> uh so, so that's cool. Yeah, so lesson is don't <laughs> run up on Sarah when you see her in public because don't do she's it. got five I years I wear a of lot experience. of rings too, okay. so that'll hurt. <laughs> Definitely, I leave some imprints. I like that. This this last <laughs> section, I just like to open if you want to plug anything. Obviously, we talked about your podcast, but if there's anything else you want to let the two to three people listening kind of know about, uh, here's your opportunity. Uh, yeah. Self-Control and Cheese, um, we came up with the title like on a whim and haven't really changed it, but it's not really not really what we're all about, but feel free to check it out anyway. Um, just like, I don't know, there are some really smart people out there uh, and you can get a lot of ideas even if you don't read business books. 10 out of 10 would recommend reading fiction to also turn your brain off. Fiction rocks um, if you want any book suggestions. I also read like a book every like week and a half, but it's usually fiction. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. We'll reach out to uh, Sarah if you want a book recommendation and check okay. her out on the juice because she's on the juice. I oh, saw yes. you I on the juice. Plug that. Yeah. So if Thank you want you. to uh, follow her um, to the to the promised land, do that on the juice, but also you can find her on LinkedIn. It'll all be in the show notes. Um, so yes, thank you, Sarah, for coming on. I appreciate it. And this was a wonderful conversation. Thanks so much for having me. This was great. This is the end of the podcast.